0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. In today's gospel lesson, Peter has the best intentions. If we can do anything to prevent pain, we want to help. We want to stop it. But sometimes our best human intentions can bring about unwelcome responses. And the response that Peter receives from Jesus today is very direct. For example, our best human intentions of wanting to help someone who may not want help. Those efforts might be perceived as controlling, condescending. Maybe trying to provide a solution when listening is all that is required. Making assumptions instead of gathering information. I love the connection today between the gospel text of today and the verses that precede it. The text for today follows what we read two weeks ago of how Jesus was confessed as the Son of God, the Messiah, by Peter. Peter is blessed, and then he is rebuked. He is reprimanded, and he is scolded. So I encourage you to open your bulletins to the Gospel lesson, starting with Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This is Jesus' first clear prediction of the death he was going to die. His prediction is very creedal. He will suffer, he will be killed, and on the third day he will be raised again. That last part, on the third day he will be raised, almost seems to get hidden through all the suffering. It's like the old saying when you pass a small town on a country road, if you blink, you miss it. Don't miss it. The disciples, they miss it. They don't understand. The news sounds dark and grave. And in Jesus' first prediction of his death, Peter doesn't handle this very well. Continuing in the text, Peter takes him aside and he begins to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And then Jesus turned And said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter thinks Jesus is talking crazy. If a friend tells you bad news that you can't control, bad news in which you can promise an easy solution, an easy, achievable solution, you want to do your best to make the situation better. So instead of rebuking Jesus in front of the other disciples, Peter takes Jesus aside. That's, that's no way to talk, Jesus. That, that's an awful way to die. Come on, let, let, let's continue to heal the sick. Let's cast out demons. We're helping people. You're the Messiah. You're going to restore Israel. That's, that's no way to do it. It's hard not to feel sorry for Peter. It's hard not to sympathize with Peter. He means well. And up to this point, Peter has witnessed Jesus firsthand. Peter's mother-in-law, who was suffering from a fever, was healed by Jesus. Peter has witnessed Jesus feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Peter has walked on water. He's probably known more for sinking, but he did walk on water. And Peter has confessed Jesus as the Messiah, to which Jesus replies, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And he has given his name. I tell you that you are Peter. That sounds all pretty good. And Peter might be feeling pretty good at this time after that blessing to try and correct Jesus. We're close, Jesus. I'll, I, can, I can speak my mind. So can you blame Peter for responding in the way that he did? Why would someone with such great authority to heal, authority over waves, over wind in the sea, die by betrayal? Why would Jesus die such an awful death by the hands of the Jewish authorities? What was Jesus going to do that was going to make him so angry? Jesus was going to save. He was going to liberate. He was going to restore Israel. A horrible, gruesome death was in no way to do that. So there must be another way. There must be an easier way. There must be, has to be another way. Peter was just looking out. And so four verses after Jesus has confessed, or as Peter has confessed Jesus to be the Christ, Jesus turns and tells Peter, get behind me, Satan something I don't suggest saying to your spouse. <laughs> it's at this point in the text I want to share a story with you about a man named Thomas Midgley Jr. and the Cadillac Model 30. So the Cadillac Model 30 was a car way back in the late 1910s. It was the first car that didn't need a hand crank to start it. It could go up to 45 miles an hour, had 40, 40 horsepower, which was double the Ford Model T but it had the problem of engine knocking. So engine knocking made the engine definitely loud. It reduced power output, it reduced fuel efficiency, it decreased the life of the engine, all very, very bad things. So the executives of the Cadillac Model 30, they wanted to find a fuel additive that could help with engine knocking. So a man by the name of Thomas Midgley Jr. was asked to help address that problem. He tried a variety of different additives, one of them being melted butter. He found success with ethanol back in the late teens, but you needed a lot of it in the fuel mixture. It was going to be hard to generate a profit creating and distributing ethanol. He found success with tellurium, but the smell was so bad. The smell was so offensive to Midgley's wife that his wife made him sleep in the basement for seven months. And then, in 1921, Midgley found an additive. It was cheap. It didn't smell. It was easy to produce, readily available, effective at low concentrations. For this new fuel additive, Midgley received the high, one of the highest awards in the American Chemical Society for a significant and original contribution to any field of chemistry. In 1923, the top three Indianapolis 500 winners all used this fuel. However, there was a slight problem. This solution contained lead. And if you don't know much about lead, it's highly toxic to multiple organ systems in the human body, particularly our brains. A new factory was built to manufacture this new fuel, and within two months of operating, dozens fell ill, five people died. Midgley himself knew of the hazards of lead, Most of the general public had an idea of the hazards of lead. Benjamin Franklin had wrote about the poisoning effects of lead in 1786. The new fuel was marketed as ethyl instead of tetraethyl lead. But again, this additive of lead, it was cheap, it was easy to produce, it was profitable. Midgley believed that just a little bit of lead wouldn't hurt, but its effects on people and the environment were substantial. Leaded gasoline was finally banned for vehicles beginning with the model year 1975, so the next time you fill up, you'll notice the fuel next to the 87 octane rating is unleaded. What is the lead in your life? Satan would love nothing more than to persuade your human mind that just a trace amount doesn't affect me. For us to think that a trace amount is not bad, a trace amount of toxicity is not going to hurt us. Even the littlest amount of sin is toxic. It has substantial effects on people. There are no side effects may include is the result and the wages of sin is death. If we can minimize sin, we can minimize the cross. The minimizing of the cross, the promotion and preservation of self, the desire to gain the whole world, these are just a few of the stumbling blocks and traps that Satan puts in front of you. The way of the cross seems expensive. It seems brutal, and it is brutal. It's a brutal suffering and death. It's no way for a king to be treated. It doesn't seem practical and efficient. What profit can the cross bring? There must be a better way. Jesus' response to Peter, get behind me Satan, is way more than a witty retort. It's a reminder that God's ways are higher than our ways. God's ways are not our ways. God, in his divine wisdom and knowledge, put forth the foolishness of the cross to show his wisdom and his power. The cross is death-saving and life-giving. The perfect justice of punishment by death in which we all deserve due to the toxicity of our sin, the curse of the sin we possess, the lead that we cannot get out of our bones, it was laid upon the shoulders of one. For if many died by the trespass of Adam, how much more did God's grace come by the grace of Jesus Christ and how that overflows to many. Instead of the condemnation of all through Adam's sin, the righteous act of one results in the justification of all people. And just as through the disobedience of Adam many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of Jesus Christ that many are made righteous. Friends, as some of you know, this is my first sermon in the pulpit this morning. What an incredible joy to know those who have stood here before me, those who stand with me now, those who will stand after me. We proclaim to know nothing except Christ crucified, a stumbling block, foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those whom God has called, Christ through the cross, indeed the cross, It is power. It is wisdom. The cross and God's divine plan is 100% effective to those who believe in its power to save. His plans, God's plans, they're perfectly structured. They're perfectly organized. They're perfectly run. His will is to work in all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. Praise God for his concern over my human concerns to demonstrate what true grace looks like to demonstrate what true obedience looks like, to demonstrate what true righteousness looks like. And it is not just true, it is perfect. All this is demonstrated through his cross for me and for you. And with that example of true grace, true obedience, and true righteousness, Jesus has given us a template, a template on how to deny ourselves. Continuing in the text, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I want to share with you some ways that I think God has ordained and also through his word of denying ourselves and picking up our cross. What does that look like? Denying yourself and picking up your cross, it requires acknowledging the need for help. I'm not in control and in acknowledging that need for help outside of being a good person, outside of good works, outside of what we are capable of doing. I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, but the Holy Spirit has called me, has called you, enlightened you by the gospel. He has enlightened you with gifts, sanctified, set you apart. He has purified you, freed you from sin. He loves you. He cares for you. He keeps you in the faith. Denying yourself and picking up your cross means acknowledging that need to daily repent and be reminded of God's forgiveness. Picking up your cross gives a place for your toxicity to go. The toxicity of the world, the toxicity of sin was all placed on his shoulders then, and you can place that toxicity of your grudges, your pain, your suffering, what you harbor, resentment, all you can put that, put it on the cross. There is a great exchange at the cross of sin for forgiveness and there is a great exchange for toxicity to be exchanged with clarity, forgiveness and peace. We are united with Christ in baptism, given new spirit-created attitudes, desires and actions. In baptism we drown ourselves, we drown our old selves of corruption, we raise a new Adam, a new life in Christ that live in God, live in righteousness, live in purity. Denying yourself involves asking God to transform your mind. God, transform my mind to think of your concerns. We'll pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done. Lord, help us understand and joyfully follow what your will is. And finally, denying yourself means listening first, loving others as you love yourself. In denying ourselves and losing the world, we find our soul. We consider the things of this world as garbage as St. Paul says, so that we may gain Christ, that we may find in him righteousness. We want to know Christ more. We want to know the power of his resurrection. We want to participate in his sufferings. We want to take up our cross. We want to become like him in death so that we may participate in his resurrection. We want to be in his word. Do not fear, brothers and sisters. In the taking up of your cross, you do not do it alone. God is with you to the very end of the age. We have a Savior who knows suffering. We have a Savior who tasted death. We have a Savior who is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the living one. He was dead, but he is now alive. He holds the keys of death and Hades. He is crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death for you so that we would not have to suffer eternal death. Next week, um, as Deanne kind of showed the It's free, free, free. We start our next fall Bible study next week. I invite you to take the plunge. Try to deny yourself five to ten minutes of the world. Daily read the eternal truths of God's word. Lose yourself daily. Pick up the word. Know the righteousness that the cross of Christ brings to those who believe in its power. Daily pick up your cross. And with the help of the Spirit, you can resist those trace amounts of lead. Pick up your cross and be reminded of the true and perfect love that Christ showed for you. Not that our human concerns would show love to God, but that his heavenly concerns showed love to us. Because God loved us, we love one another with a love that truly wins. A love that remembers and reflects God's sacrifice, that recalls true grace, obedience, righteousness. A love that loves others as much as we love ourselves. And that love, while walking with God, That love is easy to produce, it's readily available, and it is very much effective. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.